Well, as you listen, as you can tell by all the number of students, man, any of you that are that are committed enough, they could use your help, right? So I encourage you to go and be a part of that. All right, we're, uh, we're studying. How many of you are in a rooted Bible study right now, rooted group? Awesome, awesome. Uh, big hello to everybody online, whether you're watching live, whether you watch later through the uh, app, through Roku, through YouTube. I just want to say we're glad that you guys have chosen to be a part of this, of this service. Oh, listen, I don't know about you, but I think rooted's a great study. Amen? And it's built, again, upon this foundation of these seven biblical principles that are laid out in the book of Acts, right? And so we're taking some time to walk through those biblical principles here on Wednesday night. Not to do the rooted study, but to do those basic, uh, seven basic rhythms of spiritual life that people go through. And so tonight we're going to talk about one that I'm not sure that, that we get that we completely understand or, or comprehend. So we're going to talk about it. So let me tell you about my friend, Tom. So Tom and I went to Bible college, Tom, Joe, and I went to Bible college together. You've heard pastor Joe talk about Tom. Tom's the guy that led Joe to go to Bible college as his youth pastor. And Tom and I became quick friends in school. We've been friends. We're the kind of friends that if we don't see each other for a year and a half, when we see each other, we pick up right where we left off. Anybody got a friend like that? Yeah, those are the best, right? And so Tom's a great guy. He'd been married for a long time, got two children. And a few years ago, uh, Tom became a vegan and a serious plant va- plant-based vegan. Anybody in here a plant-based vegan? All right, a handful of you, right? Tom was a part of our group. I don't know if you've met me and Joe, okay? But we're not vegan, Okay. And nobody in our group was. And so we gather every year for a retreat. And Tom showed up one year and Tom was a plant-based vegan. We thought the apocalypse was right around the corner, right? (laughs) But what we found out was this. Tom's wife, Trish, was suffering from a condition, right, uh, that created all of this inflammation in her joints. It got to the point that she was even uh, incapacitated from being able to get out of bed, from being able to move around and function. It was crippling what she was dealing with. And what they found out from the doctor was if they would switch to a plant-based vegan diet, that this condition would rectify itself. And Tom, being the good husband that he is, I would have used air quotes, but you know, he might be watching, right? But Tom, being the good husband he is, decided if this is what she needs, then I'm going to join in with her. And sure enough, within months of changing their diet completely, her condition completely evaporated. And they've been doing this ever since. I say that because that's what repentance is. We've talked about repentance. I may have heard of the word repentance before, right? We talk about it in church and it has a certain connotation, right? There are certain words that you can say within the church and the minute you hear them, you have a church answer or definition. Repentance is one of those words, right? We use it when we talk about hellfire and damnation and we talk about it when we talk about your sin. But when you really study the Greek word for repentance, right? Metanoeo. 
You begin to understand something about repentance that I think for many of us will absolutely free us up to live a better Christian life. Because I don't know about you, right? I don't know about you. I won't pretend to know about you or any of you watching online. But for me, the struggle of maintaining, not my faith, but the struggle of maintaining the balance between honoring God and saying no to this thing can be a challenge at times. Anybody else relate? Right? It's a challenge at times. Right? It's a challenge to fight your flesh. Listen, if you're honest with yourself and you're honest about the struggle and you understand what God wants, it can be a challenge saying no to what your flesh wants to do or what your mind tells you to do. Yes or no? Right? Be a challenge. So we talk about repentance in terms of making sure you're getting rid of that sin. Right? And so when we hear the word repentance at church, we're often focused on, well, somebody's doing something wrong. Right? I want to walk through some scriptures tonight that I think put a, not a different spin on repentance, but a more complete light upon repentance and what it actually means. Let's start with this first. Second Peter chapter three. Here's what Peter wrote. The Lord's not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. He said, he's patient with you. He doesn't want anybody to what? perish. So now he's going to associate the action required to keep from perishing. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to church, right? No, he wants everyone to come to what? So you immediately, listen, you immediately understand repentance and perishing. They go, they're pretty closely related, right? God could have said anything. Listen, I don't want anybody to perish. I want everybody to drive a new car. I don't want anybody to perish. I want everybody to go to Tomoka Christian Church. Right? I don't want anybody to perish. I just want everybody to go to a church. He didn't say any of that. He said, I don't want anybody to perish. Instead, I want everybody to what? Repent. You think it's important? Yes or no? Yeah. Hugely important. Listen to what John 3.16 says. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son... That whoever believes in him shall not perish, shall not what? Perish, but have eternal life. Right? And everybody in here said, amen. Right? And he equates believing in Jesus with not perishing. So now we have repentance and believing being on the other side of the equation of repentance. Which tells you why this verse is in scripture. Luke 15, 7, right? Says this, Luke writes, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who what? Repents than over 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent. Listen, there's a reason why heaven celebrates repentance. There's a reason why Repentance is so celebrated in heaven. Again, heaven only rejoice. Listen, when you read that, you know what heaven's rejoicing over. Heaven rejoiced tonight, right? Over Hannah's step into that baptistry where she had repented, right? And in her faith had laid down her life in baptism. Heaven rejoiced over that, right? Heaven's not rejoicing because you came to church. I am, right? But heaven's not. Heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. That's what gets heaven going. Why? Because God says you need it to stop perishing. And you need to believe in Jesus so that you don't perish either. So how do, how do repentance and believing in Jesus work together? 
I'm glad you asked. You can skip Luke 15, 10, right? I'm glad you asked. So let's read, listen, I'm going to read a bunch of scriptures. So if you want to take notes, write them in your phone, type them in your phone. Great. If you want to get the notes, you can go to the Bible app, Version Bible app. You can look right on the live events, find Tomoka. The notes are there, right? I'm going to read some scriptures to you. Okay. Acts two, we're going to answer what's repentance. Acts two. So I'm just going to read a couple accounts here. Okay. This is Acts two. After the Holy Spirit has fallen on the disciples, there's a commotion and an accusation that these people are drunk. All right? Peter stood up with the other 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. It says this, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, right? Pentecost was, was at hand, right? Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he goes on to quote, quote Joel chapter two. Okay. And I've got to read that. He says this, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God, right? Or approved by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Now, Jesus, or Peter's preaching this to a crowd of thousands, right? To these Jewish people who gathered in Jerusalem. He's telling them, you did this. He goes on to say, but God raised him, Jesus, from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death. Because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on Jesus. David said about him, and then he goes on to quote from Psalm 16, what David said, right? Let's move on. He picks it up in verse 29, the next verse, and says this. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is still here to this day. But he was a prophet. He knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his, right, one of his descendants on the throne of David. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of this fact. He was exalted to the right hand of God. He's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and he's poured out what you now see and hear. For David didn't ascend to heaven, yet he said, and then he quotes that, right? Look at the next verse. Therefore, everybody read this with me. Therefore, let all Israel be what? Assured of this. In the Greek, that word is gnosko. It means to have knowledge of. Right? To have understanding of. Right? He says, let all Israel know about this. And then he says this, God made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Christ. That's what he told them. Right? He gave them a piece of knowledge that they didn't know. And the Holy Spirit's been poured out. And so he's at work. And guess what? It says this. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? 
He didn't say, what should we do to be saved? He says, what should we do? And here's what Peter said. Everybody read it with me. Repent and be baptized. Right? Listen, here's what I need you to understand about repentance. Repentance. The Greek word metanaeo. It's two Greek words. Meta, which means that something is changed because it's come into contact with something. Naeo. Right? Basically means the mind, what you think, what you perceive. It's about intellect. It's about processing. So here's what he says. Repentance is you change, not just the way you think, but you change your behavior based on something new you have learned. So how many of you have changed the behavior in life? Let's leave church out for a second. Let's leave Bible out for a second. Okay. Everybody good with that? Nobody thinks this is going to be heresy, right? Right? Let's leave that out for a minute and talk outside of church. Has anybody in, in, in here ever believed a certain thing and because of that belief acted a certain way and then when they found out that what they thought they knew, they didn't know and it was wrong, that they changed their behavior? Right? That's called repentance. That's what repentance does. Repentance enlightens you with new information that you come across in your brain, which then does what? Changes your what? Changes your behavior. And you know what we say of people who know better and don't change? You know what we say of those people? They're ignorant. They're ignorant. They're immature. They're childish. They're selfish. Because knowledge, listen, knowledge should change how you act, right? You go to school and somebody teaches you that two plus two is four. When you see plus two, see two plus two, you say it's what? If you found out that two plus two wasn't four, that it was actually five, right? And that you had been taught wrong. If you actually would, would repent, you would go two plus two equals Five. That's what repentance is. You see, repentance, repentance, right, is changed behavior driven by new knowledge. Here's what happened on the day of Pentecost. These people hear the gospel preached and the Holy Spirit's out doing his job, convicting of sin. And when they hear it, guess what they do? They ask, now based upon this new knowledge that I've been convicted with, what do I need to do? And Peter said, you need to what? You need to repent. You need to let that knowledge change your behavior. Listen, everybody in here knows certain things. If you eat a ton of sugar, listen, if you eat a ton of sugar, right? If you eat a ton of sugar, there's a chance you're going to gain what? Yeah, not wisdom, weight, right? If you eat a bunch of sugar and you gain a bunch of weight and then you complain about gaining a bunch of weight, you sound like a what? Don't say it, right? We know what those people sound like. Because here's what. They what? They know better. Anybody ever say that to your children? You knew better. You know better than this. Anybody ever say that? Listen, I can look in this crowd and know for good and well that you, you got told that when you were kids. Right? Listen, you know better than that. What does that mean? What we know should drive what we do. And that's what repentance is. Repentance is... Repentance is the Holy Spirit convicted them that guess what? This Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. Bam! Through the presence of the Holy Spirit and his conviction, that is brand new knowledge to these people. And their question is, what do we do? And 
Peter says, let that knowledge change your direction, change your behavior. So do what? Repent and be baptized. That's what repentance is. So for some of you, if, 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 if not, if not many of you, but some of you and some of you surely watching online, this is the first step you need to take. Because I guarantee you, when the gospel is preached, the Holy Spirit's at work. And the Holy Spirit, according to John 16, does this. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. So guess what? You don't have to convince your neighbor that he's a sinner. You don't have to point out to your, to your non-saved friends all the terrible things they're doing wrong. If that's your presentation of the gospel, you're never winning a soul. Because now you've decided that you're better at the Holy Spirit's job than he is. Does that make sense to you? Listen, if, if you want God to lead your children, your spouse, your friend, your coworker, your neighbor, if you want God to lead those people to Jesus, let the Holy Spirit convict them of their sin. You stay out of the way. And you know what you do? You then speak Jesus into that space. Because all of a sudden, a Holy Spirit convicted individual might receive the gospel differently. And guess what? That leads to repentance. Man, listen, it's a pretty simple process when you break it down, right? Listen, repentance is simply the idea that I've come into contact with a new piece of knowledge. And that knowledge then has changed the way I act. Is that clear to everybody? And if you want to be saved, listen, if you want to be saved... And you want to go to heaven? Here's one piece of knowledge you've got to accept. That this Jesus, who was crucified, God raised him from the dead, and he made him both Lord and Christ. Listen, if you feel convicted about that fact and don't repent, you can't be saved. It doesn't matter how good a person you are. It doesn't matter how many other things you apologize for. It doesn't matter how much money you give to help the poor. If you don't repent based upon the knowledge that the Jesus who was crucified and was raised from the dead has been made both Lord, your Lord, and your Christ, and you don't repent of that, you can't be saved. You want your children to be saved? Stop beating them up with all the immorality that you consider that they're doing wrong and tell them about that Jesus. Let them come face to face with the knowledge of that Savior, of that piece of knowledge. And then repentance becomes possible. So if you've made that confession of faith, if you've repented because you met this Jesus, can I hear you say amen? Right? Not very excited. How many of you say amen? amen. Right? That's a, great, that's a great thing, right? And here's what the Bible says. The Bible says when you do that, right? When you do that, you are what? You're saved, man. Everybody say amen. amen. And you know how long you're saved? Forever. Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Right? But the question is, what does repentance do then in your life? Or what part does it play in your life as a Christian? Because if you're not a believer and you're here tonight or you're not a believer and you're watching the line, here's what I know for certain. The Holy Spirit's convicting. The gospel's being preached. And your challenge now is what do you do with that conviction? It's our prayer that you'll repent. That you'll let that new piece of conviction and that piece of knowledge change your behavior. Amen? That's what we want to do. That's what we want to see. That's why we do all the things that we do. Because we want people to see that. So, who repents? Let's read this real quick. Luke 5. 
right? Luke 5 says this. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi, right? Who's Matthew sitting at his tax booth, right? Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. Now, Levi was a tax collector. When you read the gospel, they call them sinners and tax collectors because tax collectors were even worse than sinners. Basically, they were Jews working for the Romans, right? Stealing money from Jewish people. And it says he held the great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. So all of his wretched friends were there too. People that were stealing money from good Jewish people. Jesus is right there having a big old meal in Levi's house with them. And here's what happens. The Pharisees, church folk, church folk got together and said, right, who belonged to their sect, complained to the disciples of Jesus. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors, right, 1A sinners and sinners, 1B sinners? And here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He says, I've not come to call the righteous, but who? Sinners to repentance. So who needs to repent? Who needs to repent? Right? Say me. Everybody. Right? Everybody in here. Sinner or not? Yes or no? 100%. So repentance belongs to us. Listen, if you're self-righteous, listen, let's be clear. If you're self-righteous and you see yourself as being righteous, you'll turn off your phone right now. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Kidding, kidding, kidding. Listen, if you see yourself as self-righteous, you know how much repenting you'll do? None. None. Self-righteous people don't need to repent. Jesus said, I didn't come to call those people. The Pharisees stood outside complaining of Jesus eating with the tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus said, I didn't come to call those people. Because those people didn't think they needed anything. There's lots of people that fill up church pews and church seats every weekend that think just the same way. Got a card, got a card, a connect card. I think they're in the back of your chairs, right? It's a card to basically for people to connect to the church. Say, hey, I'm here. Here's my family. Here's my address. Would love to hear. This person turned it in this weekend, didn't fill it out, simply wrote on the front of it, over. And you flipped it over and they used it as a comment card on our church, right? Why are we doing this? And why are we doing that? And why don't the pastors dress better? So I wore a shirt with a hole in it today, just in case, right? They were here or they were watching, right? Listen, here's what the Bible says. Self-righteous won't be, won't be repenting. But sinners, you know what sinners need to do? They need to, they need to, they need to, they need to repent, which means you and I need to practice repentance. But let me, let me, let me ask you this question. And I don't need any feedback, right? Because I'm preaching, so I'll teach, right? But I want to ask you a question. How much repenting do you have to do to be saved? You see, here's the thing I need, I need you to get biblically. The people that came to repentance on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says they numbered around 3,000. 3,000 souls were added that day, right, to Jesus, to the church. Now, those 3,000 people you don't know and I don't know, but let's just take a stab at it. Do you think any of them left that place and ever sinned again? Yes or no? And the Bible says, who needs to repent? Sinners. Everybody say it. 
sinners. So do you think those people left there ever needing to repent again? Yes. But was their salvation in jeopardy every time they needed to repent? No. You say no. You say no. But do you know why you say no? Because here's the thing. Repentance for salvation involves one piece of knowledge. Do you believe that Jesus has become the Lord and the Christ based upon the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do you believe that church? Yes or no? Listen, when you repent of that knowledge and that faith leads you to accept Jesus and to be baptized into Christ, the Bible says you are saved. Amen? And listen, you and I are going to sin after the fact. Yes or no? 100%. Do we need to repent? Do we have to worry about our salvation? Then stop it. Stop it. And here's the thing. Stop making other people do it too. The reality is this. It's repentance based upon knowledge that leads to a change. Listen, some of you had to hear the knowledge of Jesus, the gospel, a hundred times before you repented. Some of you heard it one time and went, holy cow, I'm taking that right now. For some of you, you've been talking to other people about the gospel for years and they still haven't repented. We baptized a 95-year-old dad the other day in the church baptistry right here. 95, right? It was remarkable, right? Because guess what? When repentance comes over that piece of knowledge, it only requires one time for it to last forever because Jesus died once and he died for all people and he died for all sins and he covers them for all time. Can somebody say amen? amen. Right? But sinners still need to repent. Christians who sin still need to repent. You see, there's a lot. I, I've met a lot of non-Christian people. You know a lot of non-Christian people, right? Do you think non-Christian people ever feel the need to repent because they did something wrong? Of course. My dad wasn't a believer. But I know there are times that my dad repented when it came to the way he acted toward my mom because she either would show us the note or we would see it and hear it. My dad never accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior, ever. He never repented of that knowledge. But there were lots of things along the way he repented of that led him to ask for forgiveness. But that doesn't save you. Listen, you can feel bad about being a bad person sometimes, but until you repent in regard to the knowledge of Jesus who was who was crucified, who was buried, and who rose again. And God has made both Lord and Christ. Until you have repented in regard to that, you cannot be saved. But once you repent of that and act in faith and obedience to that, you are saved. Everybody understand that? Yes or no? Right? Listen, we got to let people live in that. Got to live in that truth. Got to live in that promise. Quit trying to take it away from them because you don't like what they're doing. Listen, get over that. Right? Get past that. Right? That knowledge works one time. Right? So sinners need to repent. We've talked about, I want to read this passage. How does it work? I want to, I want to read 2 Timothy 2. Oh, I'm sorry, Mike, you're, you're Dave, you're right. Let's do when do we repent? 2 Corinthians 12. Go, go back. You were right. 2 Corinthians 12. Listen to this. When do we repent? Paul writing, listen, you want to read about a church that's much like the society we live in? Read about Corinth. That church dealing with the same stuff we're dealing with now like crazy, right? He says, these are people who lived in a, listen, they lived in a worldly town full of sin, debauchery, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Paul came in, preached the gospel, started the church. So people from that world came into this world. They had some struggles implementing their Christian lifestyle, 
right? And they even got to the point that at times they were celebrating some of the old lifestyle in the church. And Paul wasn't happy about it. So he, he, he writes them. He says this. Have you been thinking all along that we, Paul and his, and his compadres, have been defending ourselves to you? He says, we've been speaking in the sight of God as those in Jesus. And everything we do, dear friends, he says, is for your strengthening. Listen to this. He says, for I'm afraid that when I come to Corinth again, I might find you as I, I may not find you as I want you to be. And you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be quarreling and jealousy and outburst of anger. He says, there may be factions and slander and gossip and arrogance and disorder within the church. He says, I'm afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you and I will be grieved over many who have what? Sinned earlier and have not what? Repented of the impurity of the sexual sin and the debauchery in which they have indulged. You know when you need to repent? When you what? When you sin. Listen, if, if the Holy Spirit convicts you of something that you're doing that's wrong, repent. Let that knowledge lead you to repentance. Let it lead you to that place where you're willing to go, oh, I've got to change the way I think here. I've got, got to act better. Does everybody get that? Yes or no? Now, let me blow your mind. Let me blow your mind. Where is my Luke passage at? I, I want to... Hey, Dave, look up Luke 17. I'm going to read this real quick. Luke 17, verses 3 and 4. Let me, let, me, let me throw this into the mix here. Good Lord, it's 7.30 already. i got to get the youth group to stop singing so well and so much. Listen, listen to Luke 17, 3 and 4. Let me blow your mind. Listen, every sinner needs to what? We need to repent, Right? But there's one repentance that leads to salvation. And that's when God places in you the conviction that this Jesus who was crucified, buried, and rose again is both Lord and Christ. And you respond to that in faith, you're saved. Amen? But there are sins and sexual impurities and all kinds of debauchery and gossip and disorder and factions and disunity and lies and theft and all kinds of things that Christians participate in. Paul says... You need to repent of that, right? The knowledge of that being wrong should lead you to repentance. Listen to this. Luke says this. Watch yourselves, right? Which means before you go looking at other people's yard and complaining about how terrible it looks, you should pay attention to your own yard first. Everybody get that? He says, so watch yourselves. Listen to this. If your brother sins, right, against you, do what? We like that part. Right? Right? I, I wanted to get into that word rebuke, but that'll take a month, right? Because that's an amazing word, right? He says rebuke, rebuke him. And if he what? Repents, do what? That makes sense to everybody, right? Let, 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 it, let it lay hard on you now. If he sins against you seven times in a what? And seven times... I'm not going to let that cause me to repent. He said... If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you and says what? Says what? Now, let's think about this for a second. Let's just take a significant 
person in your life. You pick the person. Child, friend, spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, coworker. And they do something. They do, my dad's, my dad's, um, my friend's dad has Parkinson's. Let's just say I didn't know he had Parkinson's. And I made some off-color joke about people uh, with Parkinson's and even did a little acting out of a person who has Parkinson's. And my best friend got his feelings hurt. And then he came to me and said, hey, that really hurt my feelings. And here's why. You didn't know this, but my dad is suffering a debilitating, crippling disease called Parkinson's that's going to take his life. If I... Right, If I'm repenting at that point in time, I say to him, based upon that knowledge, I, what? I'm sorry. Like I didn't know. But now that I do, I'll never do it again. But what if I walk away and I do it six more times? You going to have a hard time forgiving me? Of course you are. Of course you are, because you're going to say this. I don't believe you. I don't think you're sorry at all. You did it once and then you turn around and did it six times. So guess what? I'm not going to forgive you because I don't think you're being serious. Sound familiar? <laughs> yeah. Do you see what Jesus said? If your brother sins against you seven times and come back, comes back and does what? Says. Everybody say the word says. Says, I repent, you what? You don't know why he says to do that? Because that's exactly what he does for us every single day. Listen, you want to make a difference in people's lives around you? Practice repentance. Listen, for some of you watching online and for all of us in here, the reality is when we do something wrong because we know, listen, the reason why we preach this word and why we ask you to be in it is because we need you to know the knowledge of the truth. Because once you know it, God's no longer going to consider you to get away with being ignorant. Once you know the truth, listen, you're accountable to it. And repentance requires that you know what not to do. Guess what? You shouldn't have sex outside of marriage. You want to know why? Because God's word says sex outside of marriage is what? It's a sin. So guess what? When you do it, right? When you do it, you should what? Repent. The Bible says you shouldn't be drunk. And if you know better and you get drunk, when the Holy Spirit convicts, you should what? Repent. And guess how many times God's going to forgive you of that? Thank you, Meg. Hold on, what'd you say? Every single time. And you're going to... Listen, I read commentary after commentary after commentary on Luke 17. And everybody wants to add this phrase. When the person repents sincerely. That's not what he said. He said when your brother does it seven times in a day and comes back and says... I repent, you what? Forgive him. Because that's what repentance does. Repentance leads us to what? Forgiveness. It leads us to a place that we can be saved. And guess what? When we turn around and practice that in the lives of other people, we turn around and practice in the lives of other people, it changes every relationship you have. Everyone. Listen, marriages are ruined. Not because of sin. Listen, damage is done by sin, hurt is done by sin, pain is caused by sin, but you know what ruins relationships? Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness ruins it. Because when we can't practice what he gives us every day, it makes what we get from him seem not real. Not real at all. So sinners need to repent. Repentance is knowing something and based upon that new knowledge, I change my behavior. 
And we have to learn how to give it to one another. I want to read one last verse. Go to that last verse there, Dave, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians 7, Paul writes this about repentance. Starting in verse 18, it's the very last one. While he's doing that, we'll just talk among ourselves. All right, here we go. Paul writes to this church. He wrote a letter called 1 Corinthians. He wrote a second letter that we don't know what it said. And then he writes a third letter. He says, if I caused you sorrow by my letter, right? He says, I don't regret it. He says, though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. He says, yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry or you felt bad after you got my letter, but because your sorrow led you to what? Repentance. He says, for you became sorrowful as God intended and so were not harmed in any way by us. He says, godly sorrow. Everybody say godly sorrow. Godly sorrow brings what? That leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Stop right there. Let me be clear about something. If you're walking around here, listen, if you're walking around in here or you're watching online and you know Jesus and you've confessed your faith because of that knowledge and you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior, say amen. And if you walk around having regret about anything after that, that's the work of the devil. Because he wants to convince you to live in regret because guess what? You're still a sinner. Listen, Jesus didn't die to keep you from being a sinner. True? Anybody here know Jesus? Still sinner? Yes or not? Still battle with the sin, the sin instinct? Yes or not? Listen, Jesus didn't come to take away your sin. He came to take away the penalty of your sin forever. Somebody say amen. But listen, when you believe that, you give away regret. The minute you start walking around in regret about your whole stinking life and the things that you're doing, guess who's winning the conversation battle in your head? It's the enemy. He says, that, self, that repentance leads to no regret. He goes on to say this. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. Now listen what godly sorrow, godly sorrow produces repentance. And he said, godly sorrow produces this. Which means, this is what repentance should look like. You're now earnest, he says. You're eager to clear yourselves, right? I want to wipe out my debt, right? I've got indignation about that thing that I just did. It's so wrong, right? What alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. He says, those are what repentance looks like because that's what godly sorrow produces. So if you ever want to know what it looks like to repent, read 2 Corinthians chapter 7, 8-13. through 13. He tells you point blank what it should look like. You don't have to guess. You don't have to wonder what's in a person's heart, right? You can see in that because it's more, listen, it is possible to say I'm sorry and never repent. Yes or no? But Jesus said, every time your brother sins against you, and it can be seven times in a day, and that person comes to you and says, I repent, you do what? And you do that because that's what the gospel does for us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I pray for your spirit to lay heavy on us. First of all, for those that don't know Jesus, who don't know that the Jesus that was crucified, that was buried, that rose from the dead and is now seated at the right hand of the Father has been made both Lord and Christ. Father, I pray for anybody listening Father, that your spirit, your word will be at work in that heart and that ultimately repentance would be the result. 
And Father, for all of us that have already taken that step and we've been washed in the blood of Christ, we've had our debt paid forever, Lord. My prayer is for the power of your spirit, the power of your word, our knowledge of the truth to lead us to more godly sorrow, to lead us to true repentance so that we don't feel like we're playing a game and we don't feel like we're pretending. Father, help us to understand that the battle between ourselves, the battle with sin will last until we're done here or till you take us home. We don't have to feel regret about that struggle. We simply have to give praise and glory to you for taking care of the problem of our debt because of it. And as we live in a practical holiness where we try to get closer and closer to the image, to be conformed to the image of your son, Lord, help us to know when it's time to repent. Help us to know when it's time to leave that behind so that we can move forward. And Father, help us in every relationship we have to practice exactly what you give us on a day-to-day basis. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, church.